Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, I have some very, very, very good news for you this morning. Very good news. Brace yourself. Brace yourself right now. Very good news. What's the best news I could possibly tell you this morning? Here it is. God is great and God is good. God is great and God is good. So yesterday morning uh, in worship, we we are... Um, moving through the book of Romans, and we've been in Romans chapter 8 for a period of time, and we arrived yesterday morning at Romans 8, verses 26 to 30. And let me just tell you, if you just need some very good news, very, very, very good news, spend some time today in Romans chapter 8, 26 to 30. I'm going to read the first two verses of that. So Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we can just stop right there. I mean, there's some great good news in that part of Romans 8:26. I don't know about you, but you need help in I mean, I need help in my weakness. I know it. I am aware of my weakness, my spiritual weaknesses, my the challenges I face. Uh I I understand the things that Paul has talked about prior to this and so when Paul affirms that the Holy Spirit of the living God is helping us in our weakness. Man, I am rejoicing. And then he says this, for we don't even know what to pray as we ought. But guess what? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, if you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, redeemed in Jesus Christ, if you are a saint, not not in the narrow way that some define that term, but in the way the Bible uses it to describe the person in whom Christ dwells. If you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit of the living God is praying for you. The Spirit himself intercedes for us right now. Let me repeat that. The Holy Spirit is praying for you right now. How is the Spirit praying? With groanings too deep for words. Now, that, that sounds like our prayers a lot. Scripture affirms that we we groan um, in praying. We don't even we we just we're just beyond words sometimes. We are sobbing before God and lifting that up as as prayer, and God receives it. Creation is groaning with eager longing for man's redemption. And guess what? The Spirit Himself is interceding for us in the same way, groaning too deep for words. And then verse twenty seven. And he who searches hearts which, by the way, also another work of the Holy Spirit, right now searching our hearts. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit is not just praying for us, the deepest things in our hearts and minds. 
The Spirit is also interceding in such a way that it is all according to the will of God. I don't know about you, but that is some great good news this morning. Today, let's give God thanks for this amazing grace and the revelation of it in His Word, again, by His Spirit. All right, up next, uh, I'm going to survey some coronavirus headlines with Dr. Zach Jenkins. There are a lot of them before us today, um, so we will do that up next. We'll be right back. All right, it's good to have you back again. Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Good, mo- good Monday morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so um, as I survey the headlines related to the coronavirus today, uh, if you weren't anxious already, <clears throat> my guess is that uh, based on the headlines that are being pressed out there in relationship to the coronavirus, people are experiencing some rising um, anxiety in relationship to it. Um, we got schools flip-flopping on opening and closing and how they're going to deliver those services. We've got the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, saying, hey, we're not going to control the pandemic. Now, that's actually a fairly scientific statement. We're not going to control the pandemic. But him saying that led to you know, other people sort of waving the dark flag of uh, dark winter of disease and death, which is what the other candidate for the presidency is saying we're all facing. Um, In the midst of all of that, we have the vice president's uh, staff affected, at least five members of Mike Pence's staff uh, confirmed to have the coronavirus, and the United States has hit its highest seventh-day average since the pandemic began. Um, With all of that in view, uh, there is a drop in death rates. So let's start there. Talk with us about, because this seems like a good news item related to the coronavirus, um, talk with us about the drop in death rates. So there has actually been some information coming out. Uh, a study was recently done that did show a drop in overall death rates. And there are a few reasons that probably is occurring. Uh, one of which is the fact that our therapeutics are more on point than when we started with the pandemic. And we're becoming increasingly better at identifying who should be receiving what kind of therapy. So that's really working in our favor. Uh, Another thing I think that really helps is we also know who should be ventilated versus not ventilated, who should receive receive oxygen versus not receive oxygen. We've gotten a lot more efficient at identifying those people. There is some more interesting information. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where they think that uh, mask usage not only can prevent some transmission, but also decreases the amount of virus a person gets exposed to if indeed they are exposed. So because of that, there's some theory that maybe when they do have a response to the disease, it's less severe since they're not burdened by quite a, not quite have as much uh, virus at, at the front of things. So that there's some there's some studies going on on that subject, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to share some more on that one in the future. But it's certainly an interesting area of discussion. Uh, and then I, I think the other thing that does kind of help as well is a lot of the other measures that we've put in place. All those things, I think, kind of lend itself to pointing towards the fact that we are improving with this disease. All right. I'm taking some notes as you're uh, as you're speaking. Um, 
Let's move from there to something that has been in the headlines this past week. And I know we have touched on this before, but I think that some of these things, you know, most of us aren't spending most of our time thinking about all of this. And so we'll we remember that we heard you talk about excess death, but excess death sounds like a crazy thing. And so can you explain again, um, because we're reading these headlines related to the excess death um, or excess death rate? And so how is that different or what does that mean and what do we think we know about that? So the CDC has for quite some time tracked what what I would say is like the average deaths that we would see throughout a given year. And they, they look at that seasonally. So you could see it, of course, increase during the winter when we have a lot of respiratory disease. And we've always had those issues then. Um, what's, what's interesting to kind of think of is when you compare where we're at it, with respect to like what that average would be, it's significantly higher. Um, the last time it was really higher was our worst flu season that we had in the last decade, which was in 2018. And when you compare what, what this has done with COVID, it, it's actually much, much higher. Now, what's important to note when I say excess death, because there's been a lot of discussion about death and kind of what, what the deaths really are, really aren't, this is deaths from all causes. And what we're looking at right now is at least 300,000 or so deaths that are higher um, year to date than, than what we've seen in, in years past. So the, the common denominator when you look at all that, and this is what this report really kind of speaks to, is it's about 200,000 of those deaths for sure that are coming from COVID that, that we can prove with positive tests. The other 100,000 or so, those are, those are cases where they haven't been able to maybe say that COVID was involved. And certainly there could be some other things at play that we don't quite understand as much, but still it's, it's very unusual to even have like 100,000 deaths uh, above what you would consider to be an average. So this, this is pretty notable. We haven't really seen the flu do this as an example in the last couple of decades. All right. I'm talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins. We are talking about some of the COVID related headlines because there are, um, you know, obviously many more than we would have time to cover uh, in a segment, but we do appreciate you helping us understand and keep all of this in perspective. So let's take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk vaccine and uh, vaccines, vaccine, vaccines, uh, the president's comments about a vaccine timeline, also um, some vaccine distribution planning. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now I'm Continuing my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins. Um, Zach, uh, it occurs to me that there are parts of the country, um, I know this is not my vaccine question, but the the, the little thing that we just heard about um, Christmas made me think of this. So it's snow. There's snow a lot of places in the country already. Like, I mean, in terms of like the geography of the United States, as I'm looking at the uh, uh, snow cover map on my computer this morning, I don't know. I'm going to say at least a quarter of the landmass of the United of the you know lower 48. At least a quarter of it is already covered with snow, which suggests to me people are going to be headed indoors. And so we are going to have to have a conversation about these new uh, CDC close contact definitions. Um, so can we jump to that and then go back to the conversation about vaccines? Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. Um, can I sit at my dinner table if my dinner table is six feet long with my family 
uh, can I do so at Thanksgiving with people who I have not been regularly exposed to? Um, or do they need to sit in a different room or do we just need to do Turkey Day virtually? Or does it even matter? Because it isn't about apparently uh, a long period of time together. It might be intermittent time together accrued over uh, over a span of time. It's very confusing. It, it, it really is. And there, I think there are a couple of things that are kind of going on in relation to that. The, the first of which is what people have probably already heard of. California recently introduced some regulations related to what holidays may look like this year. And and so I know I, I think I read that they said about I just feel like California should not be allowed to be in charge of holidays. <laughs> they should just they I don't think they know what a holy day is. Right. I don't know. I think they so I but anyway, go ahead. I, I digress. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they came up with the uh, metric of or not metric, but I guess standard of three households together. <laughs> and that's it, which is pretty, pretty challenging with different public or different uh, family gatherings, as you can imagine. Um, you know, there's you, so much were... there's so much space differential, right? Because, you know, there are people living with lots of people in a very small space in some households. And in other cases, people living in very, very large spaces uh, with, you know, only two people in them. So I'm just not sure that you can standardize things like only three households, unless you start defining what a household is, which I don't think they want to get into. Right. And I, I think that's that might be one of the reasons that they're approaching it that way. Um, so far, they're the only state that's put out anything that looks quite like that. What the CDC really changed, though, with their definition, traditionally, they defined a close contact as being someone that was within uh, six feet of a person for 15 minutes in one span. What they did, though, is the the definition is now shifted to a total of 15 minutes over 24 hours, which is a big, big change. And when I first saw that, I, my jaw kind of dropped. And it doesn't surprise me on one on one hand. It really doesn't, because you would imagine obviously being around people more is going to put you at a higher risk of exposure. But the, the thing that kind of made me, I guess, stop and go, uh oh was the fact that it's going to influence so many things. If you think about kids back in school, what that means for quarantine in that setting, um, people in the workplace, uh, just just getting shifted in and out now may be more frequent. So that that we'll see what this all looks like, practically speaking. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that when you do look at data and you, you look at um, New York and some other cities, for example, where housing is, is much more close in proximity, or if you look especially at certain different uh, racial groups where maybe um, culturally, depending on where people are coming from, we see families living in very, very close proximity in large numbers, they have been more affected by the virus. So that's a fair point to make. And what that looks like practically for the country is a very different discussion. I made a list. Schools, workplaces, which you mentioned, prisons, hospitals, nursing homes, daycare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, 15 minutes cumulative, that's that's probably not going to work for a lot of people. All right, let's go back to the vaccine conversation. Um, the president commented that we about a vaccine timeline, quote, within weeks. We also have um, some vaccine distribution planning to talk about. So I'll just uh, pass you the ball on those topics. So I think a couple of big things have happened. Um, obviously, anyone that had seen the presidential debate last week probably noted that the president mentioned the that we're looking at a vaccine probably in December. That's at least his goal. Um, I think what we're seeing too is that we have a few candidates that are very, very close. I know Moderna, theirs is pretty much set to launch in December if they receive 
emergency use authorization. So just like the medications we've talked about for COVID, that would basically allow people to use it against um, or use it to prevent COVID, but it's not necessarily FDA approved at that point. So it's like, think of it as like a temporary approval until full, appro- full approval is granted. Think about it as all of those things that you take that have that little ad at the end that say this is not FDA approved. <laughs> well, I mean, I got to tell you, there's like a lot of people out there taking a lot of stuff that's not FDA approved. I, I recognize the importance of FDA approval in relationship to this, especially when you're talking about scaling it up for an entire population. But there are a lot of things that we are putting in our bodies that are not FDA approved. So I just think that there's a balance to that conversation. Well, and, and I think that's a fair point. It has gone through some preliminary FDA review, but it hasn't gotten necessarily full approval. And so one of the big discussions that the FDA is having now is they've called in a panel of independent scientists to say, okay, look, we've been trying to push this stuff through, but let's get some people just to kind of double check us, make sure we're not missing anything with our safety standards, et cetera, before we roll this out. Um, because we want, even with this temporary approval for pushing this out there, we want to make sure that it at least is the best product that it can be and won't really harm people. So they've been looking at a lot of the standards back and forth because they want this, they want people to have confidence in the end product, confidence in the end product. If they don't, I think the whole idea of vaccination is pretty much going to go down the drain for, for quite some time. Um, so, so that's kind of the movement that people are going towards. And alongside that, you also have states rolling out some plans or putting plans in place, rather, for the distribution of that, that vaccine. Yeah. So let's talk about that, because I think I heard the president say the military is going to help with that. And I'm not sure that is like a super duper visual, visually like op, the optics of that maybe aren't right. <laughs> well, I think what he's <laughs> I'm really more inclined at... to go to my like local Walgreens, CVS, uh, even like, you know, my grocery store pharmacy, like where it already says free flu shots. Right. I'm more inclined to go there than maybe to line up where the U.S. military is vaccinating people. Something about that seems a little I don't know. I, see, see, it's irrational. I recognize it's completely irrational, but there, there's where the mind goes. <laughs> well, and I, 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 I agree with you. I think my, my understanding, though, is that the military is being used for distribution, not delivery. Oh, like logistics, which they're really good at. Logistics. Okay. And I think that the individual he pointed out that he put in charge is really an expert when it comes to logistics like that. So this this gets into like, you know, which pharmacies get it? How do you get it to the health departments? That sort of thing. So he's making sure the supply chain is in place. And then from that standpoint, you have all those different other institutions that will basically administer the vaccines. This is why I like to talk to you because you you um, you ease my irrational mind. You help me uh, re- <laughs> remember remember what these things are about. Okay, um, let's do one more, and that is um, on a therapeutic. The FDA has approved um, remdesivir. Talk about. Uh, let's remind us the difference between a therapeutic treatment and a vaccine, because I think that when we start talking about FDA approval for things, people might get really excited. This is a treatment, not a vaccine. Right. So we, we've talked about remdesivir quite a bit. And I think what's interesting to note is that the FDA did approve this off of Gilead, which is the pharmaceutical company that produces this product. They approved it off of Gilead's studies, the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled studies, which, again, are like the highest studies that you can pretty much do. Um, but in light of that, there was also that that thing we talked about last week where the World Health Organization had this big trial looking at lots of things that came out. And they didn't really show as much of a benefit with remdesivir. 
So the FDA's approval does say that basically, hey, we think there may be some benefit, but it's not going to cause harm. That's at least their overall thought behind it. So if there's some benefit with no harm, let's go ahead and use it, uh, especially since we don't have a lot of other therapeutics out there that are fully approved. So that's kind of where things stand with remdesivir right now um, in light of that whole discussion with the FDA. Okay, and then um, this is not on our list, but um, can you help me understand, is it is it fair and accurate for a person who has had COVID-19, and we all know it, um, and now they have tested negative to declare themselves immune and therefore feel like they don't have to wear a mask? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I think the news is asking the president that one quite a bit, too. Um, when, when it comes to it, I, I think what we understand so far is if someone's actually had the virus, the CDC's guidelines currently suggest after about 10 days, you can consider someone non-infectious. That's assuming that their symptoms have, resol have resolved. We know that people are going to continue to shed the virus for a long time. In fact, they could test again and test positive out to 90 days in some cases. Yeah, so it's fascinating. It's that, a little, little, little yeah. unpredictable. So, so I'd say if you if you've passed that that standpoint of you're you're not symptomatic anymore if you had symptoms, or if you're at least uh, to somewhere between ten to fourteen out uh, days out from when you tested positive, that's that's a pretty safe bet that you're probably okay to be around people. All right, there we go. I love talking with you. Thank you so much. Um, so we're gonna talk with you again next Monday morning. Um, it won't be me. Uh, Peter Kapsner is going to sit in for me next Monday because I got to go, you know, take care of something else. Um, but he'll be he'll be great. He'll be prepped, but he's not going to probably have listened to every conversation we've had. So assume <laughs> just is this easiest with Peter? Just assume he knows nothing. <laughs> All right, we'll do. All right, <laughs> thanks. That's Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Always uh, every Monday, helping us sort of process through the COVID nineteen headlines from the week. Uh, leading up to this moment. All right, we will be right back. All right, let me remind you, you can always communicate with me via the text line. That is texting something to 877-933-2484. If you have something that you absolutely must email me, um, you can do so, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. For those of you who also have my personal email, not appropriate to spam my email during the show. Don't do it. I'm not reading them. I'm deleting them. Okay, there you go. You're going to start getting um, automatic bounce back messages from my personal email if you uh, just spam it during the show. Uh, so text me at 877-933-2484 or email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, and a couple of you are concerned you took offense to my, uh, hey, I was an Air Force nurse. Yes, thanks be to God. I am so thankful for the U.S. military. I am so thankful um, for all of the amazing ways that the uh, the military serves. I'm just saying that psychologically, it's going to freak people out if the U.S. military is actually deployed to vaccinate America. So I like the idea that they're going to be used for distribution and supply chain. That's all great. They're super good at that. Um, so anyway, there you go. That's my two cents. Uh, let's see. Um, someone else on the same topic says uh, the military gives more vaccines and shots than most health care providers. Why would why would our military be allowed? Why would our military be allowed to give vaccines? Um, yes. Well, no, they do. They probably give more vaccines and shots than anybody. I have a member of my family who uh, is a Marine. And the number of things he was vaccinated against when he was uh, deployed to Afghanistan. 
<laughs> way more vaccines and shots than I had to take when I went to serve, um, you know, on a short-term mission trip in uh, in Central Africa. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Certainly, certainly, certainly. Um, there you go. All right. Uh, next up, Todd Hampson. Okay. I know that you're saying to yourself, it's really hard to imagine that a book about spiritual warfare could be fun, um, but he has made it so. So this is the Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Now think of the word nonprofit as a, you know, obviously it's a play on the word nonprofit, the way you think of nonprofit. But this nonprofit is non and then the word of like the, the speaker for God prophet. So uh, this is the P-R-O-P-H-E-T form of profit, the Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. It's super fun. It's uh, it's something that he not only wrote but illustrated. Uh, and so Todd Hampson up next with the Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. We'll be right back. A strained relationship with a teenager in your family can bring a lot of stress to the home. Not only are interactions with a son or daughter full of tension, the strain can reach right into a relationship between husband and wife. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I hear the story all too often. An out-of-control teen can cause trouble at home in such drastic ways that a wedge is driven between the marriage of mom and dad. Maybe that's what's happening in your home. If so, take some time to identify how your teen's behavior is threatening your marriage. Openly express your feelings with your spouse. Don't expect your spouse to be the only one to change. Focus on how you can pour into the marriage and work together as a team. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to ParentingTodaysTeens.org. ParentingTodaysTeens.org. There's a ghost. There's a ghost inside of me. All right, joining me now, Todd Hampson. He is a speaker and illustrator, an animation producer, and a best-selling author. He's got a, a whole series of books called The Nonprofit's Guide. Now, the, the word profit there is like the biblical profit, uh, not like the money in your pocket profit. The Nonprofit's Guide, and today we are specifically going to talk about The Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare, What Every Christian Needs to Know. Todd, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, great to great to be with you. I really appreciate you having me on. All right, so let me tell everybody they can find uh they can find you at Todd Hampson, H A M P S O N, toddhampson.com. Great place to just go check out everything including um a lot of the fun illustrations which uh I just have to admit I really appreciate. I just appreciate if if something like this can be made accessible and fun, then um hats off to you, man. This is good. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was definitely the goal with the artwork. I'm I'm a visual learner, and I'm finding that a lot of other people are as well. <laughs> yeah, if I have to read a book on spiritual warfare, you know, like this is the one I want to read because yeah. um, it makes it very, very accessible. And I think that's uh, I think that's important. And this can be a topic that is off-putting or scary, or people want to, um, you know, say, "Oh, that's not really going on. I don't really need to know about that." And you, um. There is no if to this. This is a book about when we face spiritual mm. forces. Can you talk about that? Can you talk about the when, the when reality, W-H-E-N of this, not the if? Yes, absolutely. And and like you said, uh, that's kind of what I tried to do with the whole series is, you, you know, present tough 
topics that Christians are either confused about or intimidated by or scared of and presented in a way that's systematic but easy to read and has visuals that pull them in. And what I tried to establish with this particular book on spiritual warfare is the fact that, yeah, it's not when we get into battle, but we are in the battle, whether we realize it or not. We're smack dab in the middle of a eons long (laughs) epic spiritual warfare between good and evil. So, um, I think let's start with this. Uh, I think that we have a lot of people listening right now are familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, um, that we are supposed to be, you know, suiting up. Um, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to be putting on the full armor of God. We're supposed to be standing firm. They're familiar with, you know, Romans chapter 8, declaring that we're more than conquerors. Um, there is this already and not yet conversation being had here. Christ is the victor, and yet we still Mm -hmm. live subject to a reality where there are very dark, very real spiritual forces at work in and around us all the time. Can Can you walk us around a little bit in the already and not yet? Yeah, well, that's a great way to frame it. Um, and, and in the first over half of the book, I try to establish kind of the background, the history, all the stuff that goes into that spiritual warfare. You know, when when did Satan fall? When did he rebel? Um, you know, what are some of the myths? Like some people think that God and Satan are kind of equals battling it out, but that's not the case at all. God is sovereign over all. Um, but with the fall of Adam, uh, this world kind of fell into the hands of Satan, so to speak. He's the prince of the power of the air, Scripture says. He's the god of this age. Um, when he tempted Jesus in the in the desert, he offered the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, and apparently that was a bona fide offer. You know, Jesus didn't rebuke him for saying that. He simply resisted the temptation. Um, so the, the more we study about it, the more we see that that Satan is kind of the ruler over this world. We're, we're kind of dropped behind enemy lines. You know, Scripture talks about believers as being ambassadors. So we're, we're in a foreign land waiting for our true home, um, and one day that will happen. When you read, when you get to Revelation and you read the seal judgments, for example, the opening of the tribulation period, that's the picture there is Jesus reclaiming the earth. It's the title deed to the earth. And he's, it's time for him to take it back. So there's this weird sense in which um, even in the unseen realm, God even follows the the rules that he established. So he could have destroyed Satan on the spot. And as you mentioned, with the death and the resurrection of Christ, we were assured victory. It's sealed. It's done. Uh, it's kind of like a you know Satan right now is like a, a snake with his head cut off. He could still bite. He could still coil. But it's uh, it's you know it's only a matter of time before he he is uh, he meets his demise. I am talking with Todd Hampson. We are talking about the latest book in the Nonprofits Guide to series. This one is the Nonprofits Guide to Spiritual Warfare. And yes, I have some copies to give away. If you're saying to yourself, wow, this is an area where I really need to be equipped, um, maybe you have a young person in your life you'd like to do um, a study with. This is actually a really great book designed for those kinds of conversations. It's um, it's very engaging. It's visually rich in addition to being, uh, you know, the text being really meaty to dig into. Great conversation starters throughout the book. Uh, so I've got copies to give away. If you're interested, text the word book to 877 2484. Um, Todd, talk with us. Um, talk with us about how we can discern the difference between, okay, this is just the consequence of sin. Like, mm-hmm. the, what's going on in my life <laughs> is actually just really the consequence of sin. 
um, personally, generationally, the sin of another person enacted against me. Um, this is just a consequence of sin versus this is the enemy somehow at work through one of the spiritual forces of darkness. That is a fantastic question. And uh, you and I have probably both seen opposite extremes. Some people, you know, blame everything on satanic or demonic activity. You know, they talk about the, uh, you know, the demon of post-nasal drip (laughs) or, you know, there's a demon (laughs) behind every bush, so to speak. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people, um, even believers who really don't recognize that there's a spiritual warfare going on and that there's really dark things playing out in front of us. Um, So it takes a bit of discernment and it definitely takes a bit of Bible study to see all right, not not what are my ideas or culture's ideas, but what does Scripture say? So Scripture does give us some hints. You know, there are some, like for example, some of the the lawlessness we see creeping up. Um, I have some friends who uh, have family members that live in uh, Minneapolis, and they said when when that particular five block area was being burned down several months ago, they said you could sense the demonic activity. And when you look at the history of that area for decades, there's been you know, dabbling with different occultic type things. So I don't think that's a coincidence. For us personally, I think there are ways we can determine when the enemy's coming against us. I think, um, for example, if you're just minding your business, going about your regular day, or even more so if you're serving God in a particular way, and you suddenly have, you know, ungodly thoughts or something that just nothing triggered it, just a thought comes into your head, I think there's sometimes you can recognize, okay, that's spiritual warfare. The enemy is trying to, you know, plant seeds of doubt or plant seeds of of sin or temptation or whatever it is that's going to minimize my effectiveness for Christ. And also, I think you can see, you know, as, as it says in, in Ephesians 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So even when we see, like, maybe there's an unbeliever who's, you know, giving us a hard time at work or or whatever, sometimes if someone does not know the Lord— the enemy can use them to come against us. Um, I had a conversation with a, a missionary once I was on a short term mission trip and I was kind of picking their brain cause they had some crazy stories of overt and covert spiritual warfare. And I said, well, how do you know the difference? Kind of the same question you're asking me. And I said, how do you know when it's spiritual warfare? And she said, when you're serving the Lord, it's all spiritual warfare. <laughs> and, and she unpacked that for me. She didn't mean everything is the enemy, mm-hmm. but she said the enemy will use anything they can to discourage you get you off off step with the Lord and get you to keep you from serving him in a powerful way. I love that. Everything is not the enemy, but the enemy will use everything or anything mm-hmm. um, to find a way in. That's why he prowls around all the time looking for an entry point. All right. Um, looking for the soft tissue. I'm going to continue my conversation with Todd Hampson in just a moment. We are talking about the Nonprofits Guide to Spiritual Warfare. I do have copies available. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right, that's a great lead-in, Paul Perot. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that song. No problem. Um, the Holy Spirit absolutely <laughs> needs to be what I am inviting into every nook and cranny, every thought, um, every every space and place that I inhabit as a Christian, because Satan is attempting at every point uh, to influence uh, what's going on in the world, and and particularly influence those of us who are Christians in the midst of all of it. I'm talking with Todd Hampson. We are talking about his latest uh, contribution to the Nonprofits Guide series. This is the Nonprofits Guide 
to spiritual warfare. And again, the prophet we're talking about here is the biblical kind, the mouthpiece of God kind. Um, And so if you want to check it out, uh, maybe just go directly to Todd's website, toddhampson.com. Todd, uh, thoughts on um, haunted houses, spaces, places, regions, Mm. cities, strongholds. We are sort of in the, you know, season of uh, of haunting, right? People are paying right. more attention. They may, they may or be, they may or not be paying attention to the reality of evil, mm-hmm. but we're certainly sort of giving homage to um, the what we consider the playfulness of it, which is dangerous yeah. in and of itself. So, just to speak into sort of the uh, the haunted house culture of Halloween. Yeah, that's that's really an important topic, especially this time of year. And um, you know, even a, even more broadly speaking, I think. Um, Christians, many Christians have maybe kind of unknowingly dabbled in the occult by by messing with Ouija boards or horoscopes. Oh, yeah, somebody or... actually gave me like a bag of runes once. Those, and I'm wow. like, okay, do you know what you're doing? Like, do you yeah. have you met me? I'm not doing that. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, it's I crazy. Digress. No, you're right. No, it's a uh, it's something to get riled up about. I mean, culturally, even one of the major um, toy companies in our game companies in our country actually released a kids Ouija board in the game section uh, mm. a year or two ago. So it's 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 not seen as evil or scary anymore. And I think the same thing with haunted houses. I think, you know, especially as believers, we got to be careful what we're celebrating, what we're opening ourselves up to. Uh, as believers, if, if we know the Lord, we can never be possessed by a demon because the Holy Spirit resides in us. But we can be oppressed or open ourselves up to some things that can take us down some dark paths. So um, Christians, you need to stay away from all that stuff. I think when it comes to Halloween, I think you need to be really discerning. I think there's some, you know, fun way, like if you have little kids, there's some the fun ways you can dress up and not celebrate evil. So you really got to pray about that as a family. But I think Christians, you know, at large, I think we need to really be careful about not opening ourselves up or celebrating evil. Uh, personally, I, I don't go to haunted houses and that kind of stuff or, or go see, you know, demonic movies or anything like that. Um, I think it can mess with your thinking. I, I think it can soften the, the battlefield, so to speak, so that the enemy can get a foothold. I think it's an area that, uh, and, and like you said, the enemy prowls like a lion and he's not going to attack us where we're strong or where we see him coming. He's it's guerrilla warfare. He's going to try to find a weak spot in our armor and that's where he gets in. So the weak spot in our armor as a nation, I mean, we have many, but one of them is our biblical illiteracy. And so mm-hmm. you talk about the way that Satan uses uh, our our own biblical illiteracy to pit science against faith um, and to try mm-hmm. to undermine biblical truth. That is a, I think that is a perspective and a conversation that not many people have had or are having. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And that, and that's one of those stronghold areas that you mentioned. You know, if you look at academia, uh, not just here in the States, but all over Western civilization, um, we, they, they treat uh, evolution as fact, you know, <laughs> even even though it's not fact. And it's, you know, when you look at intelligent design, even just look at it scientifically, intelligent design and creation you know, science is way more accurate and, and fits the data more than evolution. It's Evolution is really naturalism. It's a philosophy. It's a belief system. Um, and we, we, our country by and large in the academic, academic circles has celebrated that and humanism. So we have a, we've taken God out of everything and that's what we're getting is, you know, evil things are filling the void. And um, there are several areas like that that are strongholds that the enemy has. I think 
like you said, biblical literacy. Unfortunately, right now we have more teaching resources available than in any other time in history, but we have the least educated Christians at any other time in history. So that's a that's kind of a sad state of affairs, and that's definitely of the enemy. That's a long long laid plans that he's had and that he's worked into the mix. He's patient. He's been at this for a long time, and he he's got a, a big big scheme in mind as well. Um, talk about the the practice of um, preparing myself and then living as a Christian who is equipped to respond. So just give us a little bit of practical equipping as we walk out into this particular day. Yeah, sure thing. I think the armor of God is key. Uh, once we understand the battle and we and we know kind of what's going on biblically speaking, then we can put on the armor of God. I think it's something we need to in, intentionally do each day. And as you look at each of the pieces listed there in Ephesians six, there's a there's a, an aspect of it that's God's God's part imputed to us. For example, the breastplate of righteousness. As believers, we are imputed God's righteousness. But we also have to choose to live that out. So it, we need to live righteously. We need to put distance between us and temptation. We need to stand up for righteousness, all these kind of things. So there's action we need to take with each of those. And the armor of God listed there really serves as a way for us to think through each way that we can protect ourselves against the enemy. And the only offensive weapon there is the word of God, the, the sword, the spiritual sword and again, if we're spiritual, if we're biblically illiterate, we we don't have our only offensive weapon. So we've got to know the scripture in order to pull that sword out of the sheath and use it to defend ourselves and attack the enemy. Absolutely, I would not know how to ask Jesus in any given moment to uh, to take hold, like like go in there mm-hmm. and take hold of that thought and hold it captive. I would not know how to ask him to do that if I didn't know the Bible promised that he would. Amen. Yeah, that's yeah. a great way to put it. We've got All right. to, we've got to download scripture. That's exactly right. Um, Todd Hampson, thank you so much. You guys can uh, visit with Todd at toddhampson.com. You can also uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of the Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Um, Todd, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. You bet. It's my pleasure, Carmen. Thanks so much. Well, Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, we're just going to walk off with Ephesians chapter 6. You need to be reading from verse 10. Uh, And here's what you're going to find. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of your power. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Read the rest at Ephesians 6. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.